You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. So this week we are on to the summary week. Um, how it's going to work, the first kind of half of this evening, we're going to spend thinking about what we've done over the past 12 weeks of our Genesis seminars, and then the second half of this evening, we'll hand over to Dave, and he'll take us through some kind of themes which have stretched throughout each of those weeks, um, and I think there'll be some good lessons that we can learn there as well. So, I was thinking, for this first half of this summary part, if you don't look at your workbooks and we'll see what we can remember (laughs) we've got a few of us in the room and uh, we'll just see what we can remember and how that goes so if we think right back to the very first week I know for a fact Sean wasn't here for that week and and I'm not sure who was but the very first week we uh, well it was called setting the scene Um, and we started to look at Genesis and how it is a literal and a factual account because a lot of Christians don't believe that anymore and people believe it's just a myth and uh, it it didn't actually happen so we we tried to prove that Genesis is a a literal account and does anyone remember how we did that or can anyone think of any reasons why Genesis has to be a literal account of things that actually happened yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's a really good reason. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Um, and then another thing which I had written down was, and I think we did look at in the first session, was how it's quoted. So how those early chapters of Genesis, the creation account, and many other parts of Genesis are quoted in the New Testament and particularly by Jesus. Jesus talks about that record of creation as if it is a literal fact that actually happened. That's how Jesus talks about those things. So that, that is really good evidence that uh, those things did actually happen and how they're quoted in the New Testament. Then we had a bit of a look at the structure of the book of Genesis. And we have mentioned this a few times in other weeks, and we suggested that there was a phrase which is repeated throughout the book of Genesis which gives it some kind of structure. And does anybody remember what that was? These are the generations of. Yeah, Becca's got it. These are the generations of, or sometimes the book of the generations of. So uh, right at the start in the first few chapters, it says the book of the generations of Adam. And then later on, we get the generations of Noah and the generations of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And uh, we can maybe highlight those in our Bible. And it just divides up the book of Genesis into uh, some sections. I think there might have been seven or eight, something like that, different sections of the book of Genesis. And it also highlights the fact that the book at its core is about a special family. You know, it's highlighting that these are the generations of, and it goes down from Adam all the way down, the, the family leading to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it's just highlighting that, God has chosen this special family who, of course, multiply and become the nation of Israel. They become a great nation. And God has chosen them to be this special people 
through whom he will outwork his promises to the rest of the earth. So that's just one reason why we, uh, we get this structure and this repeated phrase, the generations of. So then at the end of each of the, the kind of sections in your workbook, and you'll be able to look at it in your own time afterwards, there's a little box which says avenues for further study. So we'll just highlight those on each of the weeks. So it says for this week one, so something that you might like to study a little more in your own time. Um, it says one of them is to explore the links between Genesis and Revelation. So we're now on to week two. And on week two, we looked at the creation, the creation account in Genesis chapter one and chapter two. The creation occurred how many years ago, roughly? 6,022. That's not roughly, it's very exact, okay. <laughs> but yeah, we'd suggest around 6,000 years ago, the earth was created. And uh, it took how many days for God to create the earth, the heavens and the earth? Six days, exactly, and, and then that one, one day of rest. And uh, we talked a little bit on this second week about the ideas of evolution and the Big Bang Theory. Um, these are all things which they can't be measured or tested or observed, can they? So that they're just theories. Uh, and so we suggested that really you need to have just as much or even more faith to believe in these, these theories which can't be proven. So then we looked at the days of creation, can we remember what happened on the six days of creation? So day one, what did God create or do? Very, yeah, he separated the light from the darkness, the very fundamental part of this world. And then day two, any ideas? Yeah, pretty much. So he separated the the uh, waters above from the waters below and in between place the firmament which is the atmosphere and then day three again it was it was to do with water so it was he separated the sea from the dry land so we kind of had the formation of land masses and seas and then day four he creates the lights in the sky the sun the moon and the stars day five we get onto animals but which animals Not quite. So day day, f uh, day five was just the fish and the birds, oh. and then day six was when we get the land animals and man, man on the sixth day, and then day seven is when God rests. He rests from all that He had done. And what we also looked at on that second week was the idea of God's seven thousand year plan. So there's a verse in Peter which says, "A day is as with the Lord as a thousand years." And so we suggested that just like God spent six days creating um, everything in the earth. So he has given man the 6,000 years to be up on the earth. And, and we're right at the end of that time. And then on the seventh day, God rested. And so we look forward to this thousand year period of the kingdom of God on the earth. And then we, do, we did quite a lot in the second week. We also looked at souls. Um, because Adam was created and God breathed into him the breath of life. And we suggested that there is no such thing as an immortal soul that mankind inherently has. Um, and that actually when we die, we are unconscious in the grave. And that the real true hope of a Christian is that of resurrection, bodily resurrection in the kingdom of God. And the mainstream churches disagree with that. They do, yeah, they do, Tom. 
So then, let's move on to week three, which was when we looked at the fall, the fall of mankind, when Adam and Eve sin against God. And they were told that they couldn't eat of a particular tree in the garden. What was that called? Tree of life. No, not the tree of life. Knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so they were told they couldn't eat of this, but of course they, they chose, out of their own free will, they chose to disobey God and to eat of, eat of that tree. And there were curses pronounced upon them and upon the earth because of that. So uh, if you remember that the serpent was actually cursed first, and can we remember what, what that curse was on the serpent? Well, the was to uh, eat the dirt and not have legs. Yeah, crawl on the ground, exactly. Yeah, just like serpents do today. Um, and then also there was this curse on the serpent that there would be enmity or, or hatred between him and the woman, which was uh, an interesting thing. Uh, we looked at the curses on the woman, that she was to have sorrow in childbirth, and then upon Adam, um, he was to find it hard to get food. There would be thorns and thistles growing up from the ground. And of course, there was this curse that they would die. At the end of their days, they would return to the dust from where they came. And then we looked at this, what we called an obscure promise, um, which was contained actually within the curses, wasn't it? And it was where God said to the serpent, you will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. And to the seed of the woman, he says, you will bruise the head of the serpent. And we talked about how that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the seed of the woman. We looked at some verses to prove that. And just like Jesus, he was on the cross and he put an end to sin and death. He, he gave it a fatal wound, a bruise to the head. And actually sin and death gave him a wound as well. But it was only a temporary wound, a bruise to the heel, because Jesus was raised from the dead. Um, and then let's move on to the fourth week, which was where we looked at those two brothers, Cain and Abel. Um, and do you remember which way round they are? Because, of course, one brought an acceptable offering and one didn't. But which one was which? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Cain brought of the fruits of the ground, and Abel brought of the, the flocks and of the herds. So, uh, and then we talked about this principle of how God requires the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And, and actually that was instituted right back in Genesis chapter 3. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to cover themselves with the fruit of the ground, with these fig leaves. And God says, no, that, that doesn't cover sins. The principle that I have established is that of the shedding of blood. And so God provides coats of skins. And clearly to do that, he had killed an animal and shed blood. And then that, that principle continues throughout the Bible when we get to the law of Moses. And we find that the children of Israel had to kill these animals um, as part of the law of Moses. And of course, all of that points forward to Jesus, who had to give up his life on the cross. And, and then once uh, Cain finds his sacrifice or his offering is not acceptable to God, he becomes very angry. And I think we mentioned how God actually speaks to Cain and he gives him this opportunity to repent. He says, why are you so angry, Cain? But Cain doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't repent to God. And he just lets his anger build up and grow and grow until one day they're in the field together 
and Cain slays his brother Abel. And that's the first recorded murder in the Bible. And it's only one generation into the creation of the world, which is a, a very sad reflection of mankind, I think. So then we move on to our fifth week, which is where we looked at the flood. And we've moved forward in history now quite a long way. And we saw at the time of the flood there were these two classes of people. There were those who were trying to serve God, and they were known as the sons of God. And there were those who didn't want to serve God. They became known as the daughters of men. And during the time of the flood, they had mingled together, produced offspring. And these offspring had become even more wicked. And God's kind of summary of that time, he says, the earth was filled with violence. And so he decides to send this flood upon the earth to wipe that off. But of course, there was one man and his family who were different. And his name was Noah. Noah, exactly. And God commands him to build an ark to save his family. And they bring some of the animals on there as well so that they can continue after the flood. And on, on week five, we talked about how all of this, this, this salvation of this family by the ark, is very much like the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like Noah and his family had to get into the ark, so we have to be baptised into Christ. Uh, and there's the, the parallels there between the water as well, the water that saved Noah and his family, just like the water of baptism saves us in Christ. And then after the flood, of course, there was this promise of the rainbow. And can we remember what that promise was all about? What does the rainbow represent? There'd never be another flood. Yeah, exactly. There'd never be another flood that would destroy mankind. From the face of the earth. Week six then, the Tower of Babel. This was when the whole earth, they spoke one language and um, they gathered together to build this tower that would reach unto the heavens. And I think we thought about how this was really a rebellion against God because it says in those verses that they wanted to make a name for themselves. God was out of the picture. And of course, this was just after the promises that God would never flood the earth again. But it seems that they didn't trust in those promises because they wanted to build a big tower that would perhaps protect them from another flood. Um, and uh, of course God, uh, he, he puts a stop to this and he does it by confusing their language. He makes everybody speak a different language. They can't understand each other. They can't work together to build the tower. It's a, a pretty fantastic method, I think. And, and then because of that, they're scattered over all the earth. And that's kind of where the nations that we have today speaking different languages that is where they come from. And then from that, we, we talked about the theme of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of men. And we actually went into the book of Daniel, and we talked a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar's image, um, which is where you've got your head of gold and your belly and arms of silver, and you work through those different metals, and they all represent different empires throughout time. And then it, it comes to the end, and this whole image of all these kingdoms of men, well, it's all destroyed by a small stone which is cut out of the mountain without hands. And of course, without hands, well, that implies it's something divine. This is something from God. And that represents the Lord Jesus Christ as he destroys all of the kingdoms of men and sets up the kingdom of God. And so then week seven, we moved on to a very important character who is Abraham, known as the father of the faithful or a friend of God, he's called in the Bible. And he lived in a certain place, which was called... 
<laughs> it's the classic joke. <laughs> he lived in a place called Ur, which is the actual name, not just Dave thinking of it. <laughs> Ur of the Coldies, and he was, God appeared to him and commands him to make this journey towards the land of Israel. And Abraham has great faith in God, and he follows him, even though he doesn't know where he's going. And he brings um, his family with him. And the important thing about Abraham is that God gives him these, these promises. Which uh, Can we remember any of the promises that God gave to Abraham? Anyone can answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah, so there was going to be a great nation that came from from Abraham, from his offspring. Um, also, quite a general one, but it was that he was to be blessed. Him and, and this nation that would come from him were to be blessed by God. And then perhaps a really important one, particularly for us, was that all, all families of the earth would be blessed in Abraham. So that's how we then can be included in these great promises to Abraham and become a part of that family, which we've talked about already, is, is a big theme of the book of Genesis. Um, and, and we looked at many other events in, in the life of Abraham. We talked about Melchizedek in that first week, and that's actually in there in, in the avenues for further study. You might like to look more at Melchizedek, because there's only a couple of verses about him in Genesis. But when we get into the New Testament, there's two whole chapters about him in Hebrews. He's a really important character because he points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. Week 8, we continued to look at Abraham, and we started to think about Abraham and Sarah and how they couldn't have children because they were about 100 years old, Abraham was. Um, but God promises, well, he'd already promised that there would be a nation coming from them, and he promises that they would have a son. Um, and what was that son called? I can hear it being whispered. Isaac, yeah, exactly. So uh, the, the son of Abraham was Isaac, and he was the one who, whom the promises were going to go to uh, and through. That's the second son of Abraham. He was, yeah. I was just coming on to that, that his other brother was called, do you remember? He, Ishmael, yeah, exactly. And he became the father of the Arab peoples. Um, so a different kind of family line there. But the promises were to go to Isaac and not Ishmael. And that meant there was actually strife between Isaac and uh, his mother Sarah and between Ishmael and his mother Hagar. There was a strife between these two, two sides of the family. Uh, and in the end, Hagar and Ishmael were cast out. Um, but we also looked at Isaac as a type of Christ. How a particular event in Isaac's life pointed forward to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So before before Isaac was born, that was she was promised by an angel that this child would come, just like Jesus. Um, an angel appeared to Mary. Um, and then later on in his life, Isaac went up with his father Abraham. God appeared to Abraham and says, Now take your only son whom thou lovest and go and sacrifice him. And so they make that journey together up to Mount Moriah, which is actually where Jerusalem came to be based. And Abraham is about to sacrifice his only son to kill Isaac on this altar, just obeying the words of God. 
but then the angel appears and puts a stop to the sacrifice and uh, Isaac is saved and a ram is offered instead of Isaac and we talked about how that all points forward to Jesus then uh, week 9 was more onto Isaac in particular um, how he went to find a wife who was called Rebecca and uh, Isaac had two sons who were called Jacob yeah Jacob is the, the good one <laughs> Esau that's it Rebecca yeah so Jacob and Esau they were the two sons and again just like in the previous a generation of the family there was strife between the two sons and uh, you'll remember how um, well God, God had chosen Jacob he was the kind of the chosen son to whom the promises would go to um, and you'll remember how uh, Jacob he, he um, obtains the birthright from Esau because Esau sells that birthright for just a bowl of stew <laughs> and we talked about the character of Esau and how he really didn't care about the promises of God he wasn't bothered about that he, he had more worldly cares in his life and, and then later on um, Isaac well Jacob pretends to uh, be Esau by placing those goat skins on his arm and when he goes um, into Isaac then Isaac thinks he is Esau and blesses him instead of Esau then uh, in week 10 we moved on to Jacob um, and we uh, yeah, even though we're already talking about that in week nine, we, we then moved on to later in Jacob's life, and we talked about that this strife as they, they grew up, and uh, how in the end Jacob actually flees away from Esau, and then that was when um, he goes to find a wife. If you remember that, he travels up to one called Laban up in Haran, and he goes to find a wife. And he sees one particular wife who he really wants to marry, and her name was Rachel. But then Laban deceives him after working for seven years. Jacob is deceived and he ends up marrying a lady called Leah. Yeah. So after marrying Leah, discovers he's not the wife he actually she is not the wife he actually wanted. He works for another seven years and eventually marries Rachel. And then I think after that he works for another six years. Um, to uh, continue to work for Laban so he's worked for 20 years in total um, all this time and then after that he, with the yeah for the cattle and, and the spotted ones and the, yeah there's a whole another bit there I don't think we even covered but then the spotted cattle and the fine cattle yes I can't remember off the top of my head but we'll look at it afterwards yeah. when I've got my bible in front of me <laughs> Yes, let's do that. And then, uh, yeah, Jacob returns and reunites with um, Esau, and they make peace. And then we had that whole incident where his name was changed when he wrestled with that angel, and his name was changed from Jacob to really important name. Come on, Tom. Israel. Israel, yeah. See, he was the father of this great nation which came to be known as Israel. And Israel means prince with God, a very important name. And unto Jacob were twelve sons born. And uh, one of those sons was who we came to think about in the final week, just last week, and his name was Joseph. 
of course made famous by the musical Joseph and his technical dream coat so lots of people know about him but he was the son of Jacob and he had these 11 other brothers and uh, you know they, they tried to uh, kill him they wanted to put him in this pit they treated him badly because he'd had these great dreams of being great and being elevated above his brothers and eventually they sold him into slavery in Egypt um, we, we looked at some of the lessons from the life of Joseph um, lessons of, of temptation and how we can resist temptation because uh, Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife in Egypt and yet he fled from that temptation um, and uh, we also looked at types because Joseph is an incredible type of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of the things that happened in his life now I wonder if we can remember some of those types or, or just think of some of those parallels between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. If there are any, just to shout out. I mean, the one I've already mentioned is enduring temptation. Of course, that was a big part of Jesus's life and we could think particularly of those temptations in the wilderness. He wasn't a child, was he? No, I don't believe so. He was sold for silver, yeah, that's that's a really um, important one, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? And I think Joseph, he was actually 20 pieces, whereas Jesus was 30 pieces of silver. But still a fascinating parallel. And he, who was he sold by? His brothers. Who was Jesus sold by? Well, not, not his direct brothers, but his brethren, the nation of Israel, the Jews. And... Uh, we thought about Joseph's obedience to his father. You know, his father commands him to go and find his brothers, and, and Joseph was very obedient to his father, just like Jesus was. Uh, we thought about how Joseph was a faithful servant in the house of Potiphar and in the house of Pharaoh. He was a faithful servant, just like Jesus. And he was the favorite son, the beloved son of Jacob, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, he was a prophet. He had these great dreams which told of the future, uh, just like Jesus is described as a prophet as well. Was he the firstborn? He wasn't the firstborn, but he had the blessings of the firstborn. He was actually one of the young, one, one of the youngest sons. But uh, I think we looked at a verse later on in Chronicles, one Chronicles five, and it says that he actually inherited those that double portion, the firstborn rights. So it's a similar theme to what we'd already seen with Jacob and Esau, you know, even though Jacob was the younger one, he inherited the firstborn rights. Um, yeah, there were some of the many parallels we looked at. And, and, the, and the big one, of course, is he's sold into slavery, he goes into prison, it feels like, you know, he's trapped, he's stuck in prison, what's he gonna do? But then he's taken up out of prison, just like Jesus goes down into the grave, but he's taken up out of the grave and Joseph was made second in command of the whole kingdom. Just like Jesus raised up to um, sit at his father's right hand in heaven. So I, I have forgotten to talk about these kind of avenues for further study as we go through, but they are in your workbook. In that last section you'll see there's avenues for further study on each of the weeks. Really helpful to just look through those and it just uh, might give you some things to think about for each of those weeks and some studies to do in your own time.
I mean, there was just one verse that really struck me last week from the life of Joseph, and that was in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, and it's about how God worked in Joseph's life. So he's talking to his brothers, actually. Joseph's talking to his brothers, and he says, when when you cast me into that pit and you sold me into slavery, he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in order that he might save many people. It's a fascinating verse, isn't it? Because it shows that in our own lives, when things seem to be going wrong, and we think, why is God doing this in our own lives? It might well be, even though things seem evil for the time being, it's meant by God for good. And it might not even be for our good, but it might be for the good of others around us. So it's a really important lesson we can learn from the life of Joseph. So that's a summary of our 12 weeks. Hopefully that's just uh, jigged our memories a little bit. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hand over to Dave now just to say thank you very much for coming along. I've enjoyed looking at all of these characters on these uh, 12, 11 weeks just as much as hopefully you have as well. What we're going to carry on looking at now is, yeah, Sam's just been talking about you know, avenues for further study. I mentioned a few, but he said he didn't mention as many as he perhaps wanted to. Well, the last bit of this session today is themes for further study. So it is just pulling together um, some, some themes. Um, so we're going to look at some coincidences uh, in Genesis, um, we're going to look at providence, uh, and then also uh, sort of types, um, seeing Jesus in the Old Testament, basically. Uh, and we'll only be doing that, just touching on it, obviously we've only got 20 or 25 minutes left, so we'll just be touching the surface, surface as it were, and just giving you food for thought as to how we can look into some of these things. Um, because as we've already seen, I think that was a really useful summary to go through and just pull out from all those lessons to some of the key things that we've considered. And already we've seen how that just from looking at the very first book of the Bible, it branches out in so many different areas, doesn't it? Um, you know, as Stephen said, oh, that's not in Genesis, but no, it's not. It's because Genesis takes us to all these different places uh, in the Bible. Uh, so anyway... Um, Coincidences. So this is on page 136. I'm going to be a nice teacher and let you look at your notes uh, for this section. <laughs> um, so page 136. <coughs> uh, sort of halfway down the page, so I'll just read that first little bit where it says, Undesigned coincidences are incidents in the scripture record which in isolation may appear to be contradictory or inexplicable, but which are independently explained or verified by other parts of the record. And here are some examples in Genesis. So... What it's basically saying is we might read some things in the Bible and we think, well, it doesn't really explain why that's happening. And what we need to do is just read other parts of the Bible and remember what we've read previously and try and link things together. That's really what this is all about. It's, not, it's nothing profound, this section, about coincidences. It's just making us think about linking things together when we're reading them in the Bible. So, for instance, there's an example here in Life of Abraham, a character in, in Genesis that we've just been referring to. So in Genesis chapter 18, in our Bibles, um, God tells Abraham that he's going to destroy the city of Sodom because it was full of wickedness, Sodom and Gomorrah, um, abominable things that were done there. And then there follows this quite unusual sort of account, really, of Abraham questioning God as to is he really going to destroy Sodom, this wicked city, if there are some righteous people in it? What about the righteous people? 
and he just carries on and on. He says he starts with, "What about if there's fifty righteous people in Sodom? And um, will you still destroy it? Will you still destroy all the wicked ones, even if there's fifty righteous?" And God says, "No, I won't do it. I won't destroy it if there's fifty righteous people." And then then Abraham says, "Well, what about if there's forty-five? And God says, "No, I won't destroy it for forty-five." And then he says, "Well, what about if there's forty? And this actually goes on through thirty and through twenty, all the way till ten people. Abraham says, "What if there's ten people?" And God says, no, I won't destroy Sodom if there's ten righteous people there. But we don't read in that chapter an explanation as to why Abraham was so concerned about Sodom and whether if there were a few people that were righteous, God would spare the city. But in the next chapter, in chapter 19, we find the explanation, um, which is because um, Lot lived in Sodom and Lot was Abraham's uh, nephew. I don't think we actually read that he was his nephew in um, Genesis 19, but we do just read that, that Lot was in um, Sodom, and we know from uh, earlier in Genesis that Lot was Abraham's nephew. So that's the explanation, really simple explanation as to why Abraham was so concerned about God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's really all these coincidences are, it's just making us think uh, about linking ideas, because not everything is explained in the account. Uh, not everything is specifically stated. And so we need to find these coincidences. We need to think about other, other ways we might refer to them as echoes, where we find an echo of something in the Bible and we think, I've read about that before, or something related to that before. We need to put these things together. Uh, so another one uh, in the notes here is Isaac at the point of death. So in Genesis 27, Isaac proposes to bless his son Esau. He says, before I die. Uh, and so you'd assume that he was about to die, because that's what it says in Genesis 27. But actually, in the record, we find that he lives a lot longer. Um, and there's no explanation as to why he wanted to bless um, um, Esau and, and Jacob before, they, before he died. And there's this, this section then, we're not going to go all through in the notes, but it would appear then that Isaac did think he was about to die. Maybe he was ill and frail at that time, because it suggests also that you know, Jacob suggests in that chapter that he arise and uh, sit to eat, implying that he was bedridden. Um, he said that Isaac trembled very exceedingly when he heard that he'd blessed Jacob and not Esau. So maybe he was very frail and weak. Uh, Esau also in that chapter believes that the days of mourning for his father are at hand. So he must have believed he was about to die as well. And Rebecca as well refers to the fact that she might lose both her husband and her son. Uh, in one day, so she must have been expecting Isaac to die also. So that, that's all these coincidences are really, as you say, there's nothing profound in it, but it's just reading on, reading before, reading after, and other places in the Bible where you read about similar incidents to sort of more fully understand and appreciate what's, what's being referred to. Uh, there's another one to do with Jacob and strange gods, I think we'll, we'll just jump over that one, it's just another one where yeah, there's a simple explanation as to why Jacob had false gods in his house. It's because they came from uh, other peoples that his sons had just destroyed. Um, and then the, the fourth one here at the bottom of page 137 is about Egypt being a corn country. So it says it, it's apparent from the book of Genesis that Egypt was a prolific corn country, but that fact is never directly stated. But it's consistently and subtly referred to in a variety of ways. So for instance, whenever famine occurs, it seems people went to Egypt, like Joseph, for instance, in Genesis 41. 
verse 57, one of those examples in the notes there. Uh, we read of um, you know, chief bakers being in Pharaoh's um, household, uh, bricks being made of straw and kneading troughs. So just little things that we put them together and we sort of get a bigger picture as to what's going on uh, in the Bible. So really, um, these aren't um, coincidences at all because all of the Bible, as we've already said, is inspired by God. It's all written, it's all for our learning, but not everything is fully explained in one place as you read along. So we just have to look, um, you know, compare scriptures with scripture, look at cross-references. Sam mentioned the, the margins in our Bibles. You know, the translators have been quite good, quite useful in many ways um, to look at the cross-references. As we say, look at echoes and parallels and, and build up a bigger picture. Uh, and it's quite fascinating, actually. The scriptures are um, yeah, a, a wealth of, of information that we have to, to piece together in some, some places. So that's these coincidences. Um, what's perhaps more profound is to consider providence. So that's the next theme for further study. Um, so providence, uh, there's a definition here. I don't think it's that simple, though. Um, I'll read this out. So providence is defined as the continual activity of God, whereby he upholds the orderly existence of his creation and guides and governs the events, circumstances and acts of men, directing them to their appointed goal for his own glory. So that's quite, um, quite a mouthful, isn't it? Quite a long, long sentence. I think in really simple terms, we can say providence is when God um, indirectly influences things to bring about his purpose if that makes it easier to, to remember and um, just perhaps think about that as, as indirect influence so there are times in when God very directly influences things uh, but then providence is where it's more subtle and indirect so there's these passages maybe we can save my voice a little bit that's, perhaps we can just read round this box uh, on page 138 with these passages and that's Stephen, do you want to start, if you don't mind, in Acts 17, verse 28? Or do you not want? Um, just, just the verse in the box. Yeah, just, yeah. just the first one. Then. For in him yeah. we live and move and have our communion. Yeah, okay. If you want to read round, but if you don't yeah. want to, then just pass right. to the next person. Most high rulers in the kingdom of men and giveth it to... Yeah, thank you. And, well, so let me just pause there a minute because that's quite a key one, isn't it? So it's telling us, isn't it, that God rules in the kingdoms of men and it's him that decides what's going to happen. There's another verse in Daniel, uh, it's a couple of chapters before, where it talks about him setting up kings and removing kings. So God is doing this, but we're not told directly, are we, that you know, even in our own day he could be influencing who's our prime minister, you know, who's the American president, and, and so on. Um, but we don't know that because he's not directly saying it, but he can, he can um, indirectly influence things to make sure that his purpose is uh, carried out. Um, so, so Matthew 6. Your father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. Dash, 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 seek. Ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Okay, thank you. So again, God knows everything that we need. 
Um, we don't need to ask him, and so he can influence before we've asked if he wants to. Um, you know, he can give us things, he can take things away. You know, that's his prerogative, so to speak. And we've got Proverbs 3. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so again, God can direct our paths. Uh, and then Psalm 37, the last one. Alan, yeah, Alan's going to read that one. Thank you. Steps of the good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Okay, so again, yeah, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So it tells us, doesn't it, that God can influence uh, our lives. So basically all those verses say to me that God is in control of what happens on the earth that he has created, but he might not be um, openly and, and directly influencing it, but in, indirectly. Okay, so we'll see a couple of examples in a minute. Um, but just the, the words at the bottom of this page are quite significant, I think, so perhaps just read them. Uh, so it says, this does not completely preclude the effect of chance. God is not necessarily directly influencing every action of men. Time and chance happeneth to them all. So that's a quotation from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9. It talks about time and chance. It happens to everyone. So definitely there's, there's chance in this earth. Not everything is controlled by God. Uh, but as it continues to say in that paragraph, as one writer put it, God has control of all chance, but all chance is not controlled. That's by a Christadelphian writer Robert Roberts in a book called The Ways of Providence. So God has control of all chance, but all chance is not controlled. It's only controlled when God's purpose requires it. He can choose whether to or not. I was thinking about this as I was driving along. I'm thinking, what's, a, what's an example of that? I suppose a silly example, mundane example in this day and age perhaps is you can get a car these days that can park itself, but we don't have to let it park itself. You can override it and park it yourself. And I suppose, in a, in a sense, that's a bit like God with, with chance. You know, chance is all just going to happen, and he can let it happen. He can let things happen automatically, or he can choose to override it uh, if he so wishes. <clears throat> so just coming on then on this bottom paragraph on page 138, uh, providence should also be distinguished from the more visible and apparent manifestations of God's involvement in the affairs of men, such as miracles and direct revelations. It is where God is exercising providence, those involved at the time are likely to be unaware of it. So, in terms of direct revelations, we've just been thinking about Abraham, haven't we? Um, and Abraham was directly called by God to leave his homeland, wasn't he? Sam just referred to that um, in Genesis chapter 12. That was a direct instruction from God to Abraham. That's not providence because Abraham was told, leave your country and go to the land that I've, uh, I shall show you. Uh, and also he was commanded to offer up Isaac. He was, off, he was commanded to take his son Isaac up into the mountain and to sacrifice him. That's not providence because he was told specifically to do it. But if we turn the page onto page 139, which is mostly blank, but there's a few, few examples. So an example of providence in the life of Abraham that's on the notes there is that in Genesis chapter 20, when God prevented Abimelech from taking Sarah 
thus providentially protecting Abraham. So Abimelech uh, was the king of Gerar. So Abraham, on his travels, he was, uh, came into this foreign land, this unknown land, um, with his wife, Sarah. His wife was very beautiful, and he knew she was beautiful, and he knew that other people would find her beautiful. And so um, when he came into this foreign land, he said, I'm not going to say you're my wife, I'm going to say that you're my sister, um, which was sort of to protect himself and, and her, supposedly. Um, but God made sure that she was protected and Abraham was protected in that situation. And she is sister and She was a half-sister, yes. So she was, um, was it their father? It wasn't completely lying, it was a well, Exactly, yeah, so it was a sort of half-truth in that sense, yeah. yeah. Um, so talking about providence then, so perhaps a couple of other examples. Um, Sam mentioned a minute ago, when we were going through and just recapping in the life of Abraham, so his first son was Ishmael, who, as Sam said, was the father of the Arabs, whereas Isaac was the father uh, of, of Israel. There was providence in the life of Abraham uh, in, in that, in that um, Hagar, who was the mother of Ishmael, uh, she said, well, Sarah said, I'm going to send uh, Hagar and Ishmael away to another land. And um, Abraham wasn't happy with that to begin with. This is in Genesis chapter 21, if you want to look at it later. Um, initially, Abraham didn't want them to go away. Um, but God um, spoke to Abraham and said, no, you should let that happen. And so he did. And obviously that then led to this, this Arab people um, coming from Ishmael in this, this other land. So again, providence, because that wasn't something that was, um, God directly said. He didn't say, um, you know, Sarah, well, sorry, get the names right in a minute, Hagar, take Ishmael away to this land. He didn't say that. That was their decision to do that. Uh, Abraham didn't want it to happen, but then God said, no, let it happen. So that's, that's an example of providence. Um, there's another example in that when Abraham wanted a wife for his son Isaac, he, didn't, he wasn't told... You know, go to this land and this, this, find this lady and she will be his wife. What he did was he said to his servant, I want you to go back to my homeland and find a wife for my son Isaac. And that was about all the instruction that he had. Um, see, in the days of you know, sat-navs, he couldn't plug in Mesopotamia to go back to uh, of the of the Chaldeas. Chaldeas, he just had to go and find it. And imagine what a big place it would have been. So when he did find it, well, where, where was he going to find this particular wife from. You know, there's no, no phone, phoning up ahead, was there, to make any arrangements, nowhere specific you know, to, to arrange to meet or anything like that. So it was all apparently um, coincidences, I suppose, in a sense, wasn't it? It was all, all un, unplanned. But what this servant did when he got there was say, right, I'm going to pray to God and say, I've come to this well, and when a lady comes to the well... I'm going to ask her if she can give me some water. And if she says yes, I'll give you some water. Would you like me to get water for your camels as well? Then I'll know that that's the wife for Isaac. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, so the next lady that came along, he said, would you fetch me some, would you draw me some water from the well? And she said, yes, would you like me to give you water for your camels as well? And he said, oh, okay, well, this must be, this is Rebecca, this is the, the wife for Isaac. Well, he didn't know she was Rebecca at the time, but... That's who it turned out to be. And so all these apparently unlinked um, sort of events, 
wasn't instructions, weren't directly um, instructed by God at all, but it was God's purpose being worked out. Rebecca was the woman that he wanted um, Isaac to marry and to find. So these are examples of, of providence. Hope, hopefully that's making sense in that at the time this wasn't instructed to these people. They wouldn't have been aware even that this was providence. This was the hand of God behind these things. So a series of apparently random events. Um, so we've got Jacob as the next one. We're running out of time, aren't we? So God ordered events to the end that Isaac unwittingly blessed Jacob, whose character was more suited to the divine purpose than his brother Esau. Sam's mentioned to that, mentioned that. Uh, but, and it's also mentioned, actually, hasn't he, that um, because of that, um, Jacob then had to escape from Esau, so went to another land and came to his uncle Laban and ended up serving Laban for his wife. So he eventually found his, his wife, Rachel, uh, so again, these, one event led to another event, and it led to him finding uh, a wife. Then we've got the example of Joseph. Again, we've just referred to Joseph and these events. But this was providence in the life of Joseph, that God determined that Joseph should become a ruler in Israel, uh, sorry, in Egypt, so that Israel might be preserved in the time of famine. And those events are well known to us, aren't they, in Genesis 45, when the... Um, brothers ended What's up. What's the name of Jacob's uncle that he goes to? Uh, Laban. Laban. Yeah. yeah. He's and goes to Laban. Uh, it's in Genesis 27, <laughs> I think. Yeah, 27, verse 43 and 45. He wanted it's that. He's the uncle. Uncle, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, so thinking about Joseph then, so there's it's a well-known uh, account, isn't it, that um, you know, he's upset his brothers, they wanted rid of him. So the first plan was they would just kill him anyway uh, to get rid of him. But then um, I think it was Reuben came up with the first suggestion. Let's not kill him, but let's put him in this pit and leave him to die. At least we don't have to do anything too nasty to him. Um, so that's what they were going to do. They were going to put him in the pit and leave him to die. But it was, so it was Reuben that said to put him in the pit, and then it was Judah. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that you know, things kept changing. So they came up with one idea, but then it changed to another one. We won't just kill him outright, we'll put him in a pit. And then it was like, oh look, there's some travellers coming. We won't put, just leave him in this pit, we'll get him out and we'll make a bit of money and we'll sell him and we'll get rid of him that way. And that's what ended up happening. But again, you see, it's a, it would appear to be like a series of um, random events, wouldn't it, where they're changing their minds and doing a different thing. But actually, as Sam said, because we quoted from Genesis 45, um, was it that one? No, I think, I don't think it was for Genesis 45. That's, got right That's the one here, yeah, I think, I think Sam quoted from Genesis 50, I think. Yeah. So let's just, perhaps let's just turn to Genesis 45 and see Joseph's words, because he understood at the end of his life that this was providence in his life. It, was, it wasn't his brothers really that did it, but it was God. God sent him. Uh, so Genesis 45, so I'll just read these words, uh, verse 7 and 8. Uh, so he said, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So, yeah, the brothers at the time seemed to be making all the decisions, didn't they, to get rid of their, their brother Joseph. <clears throat> but actually that was part of God's purpose, and so his providence um, made sure that that Joseph went to Egypt. 
Uh, and so again, it was a bit later then in Genesis 50. Um, after the death of their father, um, Joseph's brothers again feared that he would resent them uh, for all that they'd done, that he'd missed so much of his father's life because of being in Egypt. Uh, and that's when that um, quote in Genesis 50, verse 20, that Sam uh, read, which is a lovely, lovely one. We might as well read it again. Um, where he said, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. So this was providence at work in the life of Joseph. And as Sam said, it's not always pleasant. You know, Joseph had to go through some really unpleasant things in his life, didn't he? He was falsely accused, for instance, when he did go get to Egypt, wasn't he, by Potiphar's wife. He had to go through all that um, trouble, as it were. But this was God uh, and his providence in the life of Joseph. So there's just a few examples in the book of Genesis, but we can see that. We can see providence throughout the whole Bible, really. It's an amazing subject uh, to see how God works out his purpose, but not always openly and directly so just finally then really quickly to finish up uh, the other theme for further study is Christ in the Old Testament and it's a huge subject so I'm not going to say much about it so on page 140 it's just food for thought really isn't it and what we can look at in the future as we're looking at Bible study so a number of times already and just in the summary today there's been a number of times where we said these things in the Genesis and the very first book of the Bible, they point forward to Jesus. There's a table there. I suppose the obvious one is uh, at the top right hand um, of that timeline where it talks about laws and offerings. It's got Passover, Tabernacle. So the law itself is a, there's lots, there's chapter after chapter about the law. There's four or five books about the law, isn't there, that talk about the law in the Bible, in the Old Testament. So much detail. But what we're told in the New Testament is that the law was basically a school teacher to teach us about Jesus. That's what it says in Galatians 3 verse 24, that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. And it talks uh, in the book of Hebrews about the law being a shadow of good things to come. And in the book of Colossians, uh, it talks about a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And so it's a really useful, it's a really simple analogy, isn't it? Uh, I'm just looking here now, the chair's making a shadow, the table's making a shadow, you know, we make shadows. We know what a shadow is, it's just a really boring outline, isn't it? Just a, a black or a grey uh, image on the floor. Um, it doesn't give us any detail. So even though there's great detail in the Old Testament about the law, it's still nothing really compared to the body, which is Christ. It's, it's teaching us about Jesus. All these things point forward in some way uh, to Jesus. So if in the law there's a shadow in those things, but the body is Christ, we can see that in so many other places in the Old Testament, in other examples, such as those listed on the, on the page here, Moses, Boaz, Elisha, Mordecai, David, Solomon, Nehemiah, and others. I think, as it says at the bottom of that page, um, it's arguable that literally everything in the Old Testament in some way points forward to Christ.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.